everyone. This is Sue. I'm, I'm from Braille Institute Child Development Services, and tonight we are really fortunate to have Dr. Bill on the line with us again. And uh, we'll be talking tonight about um, adapting uh, your child's environment to maximize vision. And I think we'll also be covering a little bit about the neurohyoplasia, at least a bit of an introduction. And then next next month on the 14th, we will also be um, discussing optic nerve hypoplasia, and that will be with a guest speaker. We're keeping our fingers crossed that Dr. Mark Mark Borchert will be able to join us. He is uh, going to be. He has indicated that he has time in the schedule, so that will be a great um, topic for us as well. Thank you, Dr. Bill. But we're just happy to have you tonight. Great. Well, thank you again for sponsoring these, and just want to remind all of you listeners out there that these are going to be recorded. And the podcast will be up at the Braille Institute website at www.brailleinstitute.org. And also it's being recorded by Airs LA, and it will be up at their website at www.airsla.org. So it's kind of a nice thing that you could refer back to. And if you're working with families or you have friends who couldn't join us tonight, they could listen it to it uh, either driving to work or at any time at their pleasure. So uh, tonight we're going to be talking about how can you modify your home to stimulate the development of vision. And when we think about this, this is really the most important thing. Again, this is the most important thing that parents and family and therapists can do for the child who has vision impairment. We often talk about the importance of performing vision stimulation, but in reality, by modifying your home, you can then perform vision stimulation anytime that the child is awake. And this could be very convenient because you then don't have to hold lights and flashlights and patterns and things right in front of your child's eye. So to begin with, I want to really, again, emphasize the whole basis behind vision stimulation. It is something that is very, very controversial because there are many patients who come to us and they say, my doctor or my pediatrician or my ophthalmologist or my optometrist told me that none of this type of stuff works. This won't help my child. And to answer that, we have to just simply go back to the science. Now, I'm certain that all of us have heard of the Nobel Prize, which is one of the most prestigious prizes that any scientist can win. And in the 1970s, doctors Hubel and Weasel are two doctors that they performed studies on vision, and they won a Nobel Prize. And what they basically did is that they took newborn kittens And they made certain that these kittens had healthy eyes. What they then wanted to do is that they raised these kittens in three different types of environments. One group of kittens, they were raised in a normal environment where they could go wherever they wanted to. There were colors, there were patterns, there were stripes, there were textures. And these kittens were raised in a normal environment. The second group of kittens they were raised in an environment that was deprived of visual stimulation. The way they did that is they sutured these kittens' eyes shut so these kittens could not see anything. And then the third group of kittens, they raised them in an environment that only had 
black and white stripes that were going up and down. It almost looked like just a prison with vertical lines. And what they did is that they let these kittens raise in this environment for weeks at a time, and then they then measured their vision. What they found was that the kittens who were raised in a normal environment, they had excellent vision. When they had them walk through a maze, they could walk through the maze without bumping into the walls. They could play. They could find toys. They could find food. Those kittens that were raised in a normal environment had excellent vision. Now, the kittens that had their eyes shut, what we found was that they were totally blind. They could not find their way through the maze. They couldn't find toys. They couldn't find their way to the places that they're walking. And the third group that was raised in an environment that just had the vertical stripes, they found that those kittens could only see vertical stripes. When they put them in a maze that had horizontal stripes, they couldn't see where they were going. They couldn't find their way through the maze. So what does all of this mean? This basically means that the environment that an animal, such as a human being, grows up in, directly affects the development of vision. It's really very important to think that these kittens were all the same kittens in the same litter with healthy eyes, but the amount of vision that they had weeks later was only different because of the environment they grew up in. And this is something that I saw in practice all the time. I saw many children who were Romanian orphans that would come to the United States and were adopted. We'd examine their eyes. Their eyes looked perfectly fine. But when we measured what they could see, their vision was very, very poor. And the reason for it is that these Romanian orphans were raised in an orphanage that didn't have much stimulation. It was basically a white room with white sheets and a big mattress, and these kids were just there on the floor. Now, what Dr. Tubal and Weasel then wanted to do is they wanted to find out why is the vision of these three different groups of kittens so different. So they then studied the eyes of these kittens, and when they looked inside the eyes of all three different groups, they found that the eyes really looked the same. There wasn't anything significantly different between the three groups of kittens. So then they looked at the brains of the three different groups, and they found that there was a major difference in the brains of these three groups of kittens. What they found, there was a major difference in the brains of these three different groups of kittens. In the kittens that were raised in a normal environment, the occipital lobe in the back of the brain, the cells were very, very developed. And the kittens who had their eyelids sutured shut, those cells in the occipital lobe of the brain, they were not developed. And the kittens who were raised in an environment with vertical stripes, those kittens actually had cells that were more developed in the column type of form. So from this, they were able to determine that vision takes place in the brain. So from the studies here, what we realize is that vision takes place in the brain and not in the eyes. The difference between the three groups of kittens was the fact that their brains were different. And so we now know that the environment that these kittens were raised in, it directly affects the development of the brain. 
So the next thing that they realized is that they said, well, what if we were to take the blind kittens, you know, the kittens that have their eyes sutured shut, and let's raise them in an environment that is very stimulating. And what they did is they took those blind kittens, bombarded them with visual stimulation, with colors and patterns and shapes, and lo and behold, those blind kittens developed vision. When they then studied the brains of those kittens, those brain cells that were previously very small, they did develop. So what does this mean? This is three very, very important pieces of information here. And the number one is, number one, the environment that we grow up in directly affects the development of how much we see. And number two, the environment that we grow up in, it directly affects the growth of the brain cells in the occipital lobe of the brain. And most excitingly, number three, when we do know that a kitten or a human being or a child has reduced vision, we could then bombard them with vision stimulation, and then we have the best chance of developing vision. So ever since these studies were performed, optometrists and ophthalmologists have been using this technique with children. We attempt to identify children with vision problems as early as possible, preferably within two to three days of their life. And when we do find that they have this type of a vision problem, we often will recommend patching, where patching is a way that if a child has reduced vision in one eye, we will patch the better eye so that the child, like a kitten, will be forced to use the weaker eye. And what that will do, it will stimulate the different areas of the brain and vision will improve. So when anybody ever tells you that vision stimulation does not work, all that we have to do is talk about how doctors every day, every day doctors recommend patching for children who have amblyopia. And by patching children with amblyopia, the brain cells do develop and their vision can improve. We're also seeing that even today, the studies are showing that even with adults who have had vision problems all their life, and if they have then suffered damage to their good eye and now are forced to use their bad eye, the bad eye, after all of these years, can develop better vision. Let me give you an example. There's a journal called the Journal of the American Medical Association. And what they reported was a case of a gentleman who had one eye that had amblyopia or lazy eye as a child, and he did not receive any vision stimulation. But his other eye was perfectly fine. So all throughout his life, he used his stronger eye, and he did very well. But he lost the vision in his good eye due to an eye disease and was then forced to use his weaker amblyopic eye. His vision in that amblyopic eye was legally blind. It was 20 over 200 with glasses. And what we found, though, is that as he used that eye, his vision continued to improve, 
to the level where it was around 20 over 60 or 20 over 70 within about a year's time. But the most amazing thing about this is that this man was 76 years of age. So this even shows that even with older adults, that those brain cells can still change. And even today at Emory University, where they're studying the vision of people who have suffered from stroke, we're finding that with visual stimulation, the vision stimulation is something that can develop the vision. It could develop the brain cells to help these people to be able to see, even as they're older adults who've had a stroke. So what does this mean? It means that for any child, even a child who has perfect, perfectly healthy eyes and perfectly healthy vision, by developing their visual cells of the brain, they could have even higher levels of vision. They might be able to process more vision. Now, we often think that all of us who have 20-20 eyesight, we all have perfect vision. But there's a very big difference. If you look at the vision of some of the professional baseball players, if you look at Albert Pujols, who's an incredible baseball player, or Magic Johnson, who used to play basketball, they all have 20-20 eyesight, but their vision is much, much better than the average person. Their visual reaction time is better. Their depth perception is better. Their peripheral vision is better. The way that they could process simultaneously is better. And these are skills that you can't measure with the eye chart. So when you're providing vision stimulation to a child, whether your child is one month, five years, seven years, ten years, it all has a very beneficial effect. So here are some of the things that you can do to demodify your home to develop the vision of your child. The first thing is that we have to make certain that we have the appropriate glasses on the child. That's going to be the most important thing because if a child has a high level of nearsightedness or farsightedness or astigmatism, the image that focuses onto the retina and is set into the brain is going to be very weak. In fact, when children need glasses and are not prescribed glasses, this is one of the leading causes of vision impairment of children, and it is called amblyopia. As many as 4% of all children can have amblyopia. So we want to first make certain that your child has been seen by an eye doctor who can prescribe glasses for your child. Now, when the doctor is prescribing glasses, we want to make certain that the doctor is prescribing glasses for your child's developmental age. What we mean by that is that a newborn's brain is mostly going to be interested in looking at things between 8 to 16 inches. So what we need to do is we need to prescribe the glasses to focus at 8 to 16 inches. As a child begins to crawl and reach, the brain's attention and interest at a distance of 24 to 36 inches, so the glasses should be focused at that distance. For the child who is beginning to crawl, they start to focus at 3 feet to 5 feet, the glasses should be focused at that distance. One of the biggest mistakes that we could do for children is if a child is a newborn 
and we prescribe the glasses to focus at 20 to 50 feet, these children will now be able to see the faces of their mother, and it affects eye contact, maternal bonding, and also nursing. Now, after we have gotten the glasses, when we have the child at home, the next most important thing is going to be lighting. If you have a home that is totally dark, imagine that you lived in a cave where there is no light. Your child could have the best pair of glasses, but there will be no light to stimulate the development of the brain cells. We want to make certain we have good light. Now, this might simply mean that we're going to open up the drapes in the house during the daytime to let the sun shine in. Usually, when we're going to do this, we want to make certain that our child is not facing the source of the sun or the window or the glare. So you might position your child so that your child's back faces windows and doors or sources of glare. If you have a home that doesn't have a window in it, then that is where we need to use different types of lighting. One of the things that we like to recommend is what is called indirect lighting. What indirect lighting means is that we want the light from a lamp to bounce upward towards the ceiling so that it reflects off of the ceiling down into the entire room. The reason for this is that this is going to produce a very wide distribution of light throughout the room. Now, many homes, they have ceiling light fixtures, and many of these ceiling light fixtures, they don't have a covering. So what do people typically do is we put the light bulb in there. And the problem with that is that when a child is typically on his or her back and they look towards that light bulb, it causes a lot of glare. And in some cases, if they keep looking at that light bulb for too long, it could actually damage some of those cells in the retina. So we don't want a child to be able to have direct exposure to a light bulb. We always want it to be covered by a shade. And so if we can have something that's going to let the light bounce off the ceiling, that will be the best thing. Now, the best thing would be an investment of a $30 lamp that's called a floor lamp. And this is a lamp that has a pole that's about 7 feet tall. And then at the top of the pole, there's a light bulb and there's a lamp shade. And the light will bounce towards the ceiling and it will reflect off. But if you don't have that type of a light, you could still use a desk or a table lamp, and the light's going to bounce up towards the ceiling, and it's going to increase the amount of light in the room. Now, another possible idea is that you might also then go ahead and find a different room in the house. So let's say that your child wakes up in the morning, and you find that the place that your child likes to play might be an area that has much more lighting. It might be in your living room or near your dining room or an area that's going to get more of the sun from the early morning. That's a great place to, again, allow your child to be because that's going to provide more light for more visual stimulation. Now, if you have a home that you don't have a window in it and you don't have lighting and you really don't have that much money to go buy a new lamp, Another thing that you might consider doing is that you might just go to the grocery store and talk to the butcher and ask the butcher for some butcher paper. They usually are very generous about that, 
And what you could do is on a corner of the room, you could just go ahead and tape some of this butcher paper. By having a white wall, it's going to really brighten up that area of the room. And if you put a lamp near the table there, it's going to make that area very, very bright so that your child could then see toys and other types of visual stimulation patterns much more easily. So the second thing after the getting of the glasses is that we want to increase the lighting, and these are a few of the tips to do that. Now the third thing is just to go ahead and to remember contrast. Contrast is the most important way to stimulate the vision. What contrast basically means is if you have something that's black on white or white on black, that's going to be a very high contrast situation. You might wonder, why is it that babies like to look at panda bears? Well, because pandas have high contrast, black and white. You wonder, why is it that babies like Elmo? We see that Elmo is also very high contrast with red and white. So any type of high contrast pattern would be very, very good. And you want to begin by trying to stimulate an area that's going to be near perhaps the crib. Now, one of the things that you can do is that you could simply get construction paper. I went to the 99-cent store and bought these packs of construction paper, and you could make all sorts of different patterns. You could even just go ahead and put a black, a white, and a red, and then a black, a white, and a red, and you could tape these so that these are just on the rail of your child's crib. Or if you prefer, you could just put it slightly above the crib on the wall so that when your child is awake playing in the crib, your child will then be stimulated by these different types of patterns. To make it a little bit more interesting, when your child gets a bit older, you could put other stickers on these red and white and black contact construction types of papers. There's some stickers that I also was able to find at the 99-cent store, and these are called Avery stickers, and these are round stickers and they have multi-colors in a pack for 99 cents. So on the black piece of paper, you could put a red dot and a white dot and a yellow dot, and you can make these polka dot patterns. Or you could cut the construction paper, and you can make different colored stripes. Or you could even get electrical tape at the 99-cent store, and you could put different colored electrical tape on some of these patterns, and it makes it very stimulating. So in this way, you could still be sleeping and your baby may make up, wake up early in the morning and the baby will then get stimulated with a visual stimulation. Another very helpful thing to do is that you could also use poster board. If you don't have any poster board, you could just go again to the grocery store and you'll find cardboard. Now one of the nice things about this is that you could then put the black and the white and the red and the blue and the yellow, whatever different colors of construction paper on this board. And let's say that the board, the cardboard itself, is going to be maybe four feet by four feet. And then you could just put some of these different patterns on it. So let's say that the top row is going to be red, white, black, yellow. And then the second column is going to be white, blue, red, green. And so you have something that's going to almost like a, look like a quilt. And what you could do is just simply get string after you have taped all of these different colors on the cardboard. Get string, 
put a hole in each corner, tie a knot to it, and then tie all those strings together so that they're all suspending from one area and put that on a little hook, like a hanging plant hook. And you, again, could get those at the 99-cent store. So when you suspend that over your baby's crib, you want to suspend it so that it's about two feet above your baby's face, and that's going to be something that could move, or sometimes a little breeze will make it swing or spin. And it's a way that, again, you could stimulate your child's vision that way. What you could also do is that when you're looking at different parts of your house, you could look at the door jams. You could paint the door jams a contrasting color. If you have a, a white home with white walls, maybe you paint the door jams so it's going to be baby blue or it might be a candy apple red, whatever that it will be, so that there's contrast. When you're then looking at the floor in your child's room, sometimes you could find some really good deals. I know that at Ikea, I found these really great visually stimulating types of floor carpets, and they had these different designs and patterns, and it was on sale for $10. So you can look for some of these things, so that if your child is then playing on the floor, then there's going to be all of this visual stimulation. You could place your child on his or her stomach, and they could see all of these different contrasts and patterns. You might also simply go to the fabric store, the House of Fabric, or Joann's, or Michael's. And I've had many patients who have gone there and told them the situation that they were looking for, polka dots and high contrast for their child who had vision impairment, and they were kind enough to give them the fabrics for free. A lot of times, these are just remnants. In the same token, people have often gone to carpet stores, and the carpet stores will give them remnants. Sometimes they will install carpeting, and it has these high-contrast patterns. So you could put these things in your child's room, or in the family room, or where you guys all sit and watch TV at night, and there's always going to be vision stimulation where you don't necessarily have to do things. Now, when you think about going to the kitchen, and now it's time to go ahead and prepare breakfast or such, you could also use contrast there to stimulate your child's vision. If you place your child into a high chair, well, you know that a lot of times that that white tray is kind of bland, and what do you do? You put a white plate there. Well, when you have white on white, there's no contrast. So a good thing to do is to go ahead and to use a colorful bowl or a colorful plate. So you have a white tray. Maybe you put a red plate or red bowl. And then you could put some type of food that's going to be white inside there, whether it's going to be the milk and the cereal or it could be other types of things, but you want to use that contrast. If your child is still just feeding with a bottle, even with a bottle, we can make it high contrast by wrapping the bottle with milk in it with different types of high-contrast tape. Remember, the 99-cent store has the electrical tape and they're different colors. So you could go ahead and stripe the bottle that way and you could then now have a very high-contrast visual stimulation toy. If you're feeding your child and your child drinks out of the cup, go ahead and pour the milk into a colorful cup, such as a red cup. If you pour it into a clear cup and you have the white milk with a clear cup on the white tray, it doesn't really stimulate vision and the child might knock it over. 
So go ahead and use all of these forms of contrast. You could also use placemats if your child is able to reach for food, finger foods. Use the same principle. You might have a, a white tablecloth and a black placemat and a white plate, and you might have some other types of colorful foods on the plate, like some fruit, and then your child's able to see it much more easily. Now, when you're finished with eating and things like that, you might also say, now it's time for you to do the dishes, but your child's going to be sitting in the living room. Another type of thing that you could do is that you could also go ahead and make some sort of a stained glass window. If you have a patio window or you've got a dining room window, you could get some of these kits or you could just make your own patterns with different colored cellophane, cut them in different shapes, and you can make a stained glass appearance. What I like to recommend, though, is it's also very helpful that parents, if they're a little bit more ambitious, you could also do this where you can get a very thin piece of plastic. It's clear plastic, and this is something where you then tape all the different colored cellophane on that plastic. Then what you could do is you could open up the sliding door, and you could then cut or drill a hole into that plastic and put a string through it. So when the breeze comes through a little bit, a lot of times this big piece of plastic will then tend to spin, and it's really very, very stimulating to the child's vision. Remember, children, they are very aroused by looking at different things with color and motion. So you can make one of these things. It's almost like those dream catchers you might have seen at the stores. But you might make one that's going to be about two feet wide by two feet tall, and you could have these different colors, and this could be very, very stimulating for your child. In that same play area, remember, you could just use a sheet and put all sorts of different colored kinds of toys and other objects that are on the floor. If you don't have a lot of these high-contrast toys and things, you could be very creative. I know a lot of times we would just simply tell people, just go ahead and see what you have around the house. You know, the Campbell's soup cans, which are red and white, they're very, very high-contrast. It's very, very stimulating. You could get the Quaker Oats container, and you can have something that will roll across the floor. You could find that there's even going to be other types of things that you have at home. It might be old CDs that you haven't listened to for a while, or you tried to record something that didn't work. Well, you could make these fantastic mobiles with the CDs as well. You could look any place around your house, and you'll find all sorts of different things. It might be an old blouse that you had that had all these polka dots. Well, even that, something that she could reach and grab to feel the texture of the silk is going to be something that will be very, very stimulating. So when you think about all of these different types of things that you can do around the house, you'll see that even if you're not directly with your child, it's very, very visually stimulating. Now, when you think about going outdoors, Anything outdoors is going to be very stimulating. Just looking and touching and feeling the bark of a tree. Or maybe you have wind chimes. Or it might be that there's all these colorful leaves that are on the ground. All of these types of things are, again, going to provide that type of stimulation. Now, your therapist will also help you by providing you with other types of visually stimulating toys. There's other things such as the light box. And the light box has different patterns. There's also the iPad. 
if any of you are fortunate to have the iPad, there's all sorts of different things that you could do with that. You could find different types of screen savers. You could find other types of video games where there's things that are moving. You could have birds that are flying. You could have cars that are going up and down. You got sounds. And even the American Printing House, you could talk to your therapist. The American Printing House also has high contrast visual stimulation patterns that are designed to be loaded on the iPad. If you don't have an iPad, you could also find other things that you could use. You might find that if you do have a computer, go into your screen settings and you'll find that there's a lot of screen savers that are very, very stimulating. The high contrast and the movement will really stimulate the vision of your child. So for something like that, if you do have a notebook computer, you could leave the notebook computer on the floor and if your child touches any of those keys, it's probably going to change your screensaver to the next one and that could be a very good cause and effect toy and it'll be very, very stimulating. So overall, there's many, many different types of things that you can do around your home that really is going to stimulate your child's vision. Any place that you look around the home, you think, what could I put here that would make it more visually stimulating? Do I need more lighting? Let me open up the drapes. Do I need more contrast? Maybe the floor moldings that are along the edge of your carpet. Maybe that is something that you want to go ahead and paint it. You might paint it or you might install new different types of floor moldings, but these are things that you could do very, very easily. You could also find at many times the stores have different types of adhesives, and these adhesives, they have high-contrast children's uh, characters. It could be Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, and these are things that you could just go ahead and put right onto the wall, and it's really important to remember, put them at a level that's going to be within two feet and closer to where your child is positioned. Many times, most parents will put them at the border of the wall and the ceiling, but that's actually too high. So overall, these are just some of the tips that you can have, and I think what we'll do now is I'm going to open it up. We have a lot of the different specialists here uh, from Braille Institute, and uh, they may have some other ideas that they have used at the homes of their clients that they could share, and if any of you have questions, uh, we could answer those questions. So let's go ahead and let's unmute your phone, and if you would like to, you may uh, introduce yourself as you ask a question, or if you'd rather be anonymous, that's fine too, because this, again, this will be recorded. So uh, press star six, and I think we have about 10 minutes for questions, okay? Dr. Bill? Yes. This is Nancy. So I I have one question. Um, Based on the lecture that you just gave, is natural lighting the most desired lighting then? If if a house does have that option of the natural lighting, is that the most effective form of lighting? Yeah, the question, would we say that natural lighting is going to be one of the best forms of light? And for vision stimulation, we would say yes. Natural lighting is usually going to be brighter, and it gives us a good level of color. So in other words, the sun has all the different wavelengths of light, so we often get more color. So if a person happens to be remodeling their home, 
or maybe perhaps dad or uncle is very handy, there's a couple of things that I really like to recommend in areas of the home that the child is going to be in during the day that are dark. One is that you can install skylights. Now, skylights, they do provide that natural light, and they are a few hundred dollars. But there's also another type of a very affordable skylight, which is called the Sola Tube, S-O-L-A-T-U-B-E. And these could be installed for about $100 or so. So it's a good way to get more natural light. That's a very, very good point. Now, people would then ask the question, what about if I am going to get one of these floor lamps that shines the light towards the ceiling, and what kind of a light bulb should I use? There's many different types of light bulbs. Well, number one, many of these types of floor lamps that are called torsier lamps, you may find many of them that still have what's called a 500-watt halogen bulb. And this bulb looks like a tube. It looks like a pencil. Now, there's many of those that are available because that was very popular years ago, and you might even find these very, very cheap. But the problem with it is that 500 watts means that it's using a lot of electricity. It's using 500 watts of electricity to turn this on, and even though it's very, very bright, the danger with it with children is that this gets very, very hot. So if for some reason that you have this on in the home and the child or a brother or a sister comes and knocks that lamp over, it gets so hot that it has been reported to have caused fires. So we do not recommend the halogen type of 500-watt halogen light bulb. Now, what's often very, very helpful are are just going to be the compact fluorescent light bulbs that are sold today because those are the most energy efficient. Instead of using 500 watts, they use maybe 16 or 22 watts. They do not get hot, so that's going to be a lot safer. And these are things that are going to be very, very bright and very helpful. Now, many people might say, well, should I get a fluorescent light bulb, like the one you discussed, a 16 or 22 watt, that is what is called a full-spectrum fluorescent light bulb. Now, this is a very controversial topic, but what we do know is that the blue light, the blue light that can come from a full-spectrum light bulb can be dangerous if the child has a retinal condition. So in the event, let's say, for example, Uh, A baby has retinitis pigmentosa, Stargardt's disease, Labor's congenital amaurosis, or any kind of retinal condition, I would say it's better not to use, not to use the full spectrum type of light just so that we can go ahead and provide the maximal safety for the child. Mm -hmm. So in these cases, we would recommend just the compact fluorescent light bulb, and we might say the one that has a warm color. Many of these light bulbs, they will be labeled. So they might say warm or daylight. So you want one that will have a temperature on there, usually between 2,800 degrees Kelvin 
and 3,500 degrees Kelvin. So in other words, when you buy some of these compact fluorescent light bulbs that everybody's putting in their houses now, these the spiral ones, they're going to be labeled on the back of it. If your child that you're working with has a retinal condition, then it's probably best to get one that's going to be 2,800 to 3,500. We really don't want one that's going to be 5,000 degrees or more because that has too much blue light and it could be dangerous. Hmm. Okay. okay, next question. You know, Dr. Bill, I have a question, too. And I, well, actually, just sort of a, a, a thought. I, you know, I, I really appreciate tonight that you've taken some time to kind of think of some of those low-cost items um, to help a family modify their environment. And I know that there's some of the, I, I, the middle to upper ends that are really going to be great for those families who can, who can manage that. But um, I really like the idea of, you know, the idea of getting the butcher paper. One of the things we, I think you talked about before was putting a white sheet up um, to provide a, a light background, too. Because oftentimes, you know, we do know families kind of are limited or may not have um, even a whole lot of space. And that idea of using that butcher paper, that white sheet, can, can create um, a, a really light environment. Um, and I'm just wondering uh, if you had any thoughts or any ideas about how we might be able to um, kind of, you know, I- I increase a, a child's, the family's ability to kind of um, modify different parts of their room using that. I-, I think what I'm trying to say is that oftentimes we have a family who might just have one or two rooms that they can really fo- focus on because they may live with another pa- a family member or something like that. And um, I guess what I'm just trying to say, making this mobile enough from going from room to room, uh, maybe creating some kits or something like that. It's a question more like a comment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a great comment. You know, many families do leave, live in a single room. Uh, so mm-hmm. in, in situations where uh, many times people might use white poster board and they sort mm-hmm. of tape it together with duct tape and they could put it behind the door, and when it's time to do vision stimulation, they could put it there, and the room will become brighter. Uh, right. So there's there's many different types of options. If all yeah, they have appreciate- is a, a white sheet, that is that is fine. If they don't have a white sheet, they could get butcher paper. And the nice thing about butcher paper is that they could put different types of stickers and decals mm-hmm. or draw things, and and put the baby in a car seat there facing that corner, and with a little light, it's going to then provide that kind of vision stimulation. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we found we really like, um, one of our favorite things we found is at the 99 cents store, as you mentioned, um, is the Mylar um, gift paper, wrapping paper, the kind that goes in gift bags and such. Uh-huh. It's generally pretty strong, and it you're asking for some suggestions and ideas, but it's it's got a great texture, great sound, and it's usually like a silver, very metallic looking, and it's great for we found for grasp and transfer and all kinds of other developmental tasks the child might be might be might be engaging in, and at the same time it's really visually stimulating, and it's ninety nine cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great because again we do find that the brain is really stimulated by a lot of these things that reflect that shine. And it's the type of thing that, that type of thing, you could, you know, literally put a strap around it, around a, mm-hmm. a, a bottle, 
and the baby mm-hmm. may then reach for it just because right. it's something that's more stimulating. But yeah, and <clears> it's right. What I, what I hope you that all the listeners here are are learning from this too is that vision stimulation doesn't have to be like 20 minutes of the Jane Fonda workout or or 30 <laughs> minutes of spinning on your, your on your bicycle. Right. This means that by put presenting all of these things in the environment, as long as the child's eyes are open and we have enough light, the child will be receiving some vision stimulation. And then when the parents provide vision stimulation, they're going to be working on other areas. But again, this whole concept of vision stimulation, uh, just a child could be left alone, and if the child's eyes are open, vision will develop. But if a child is like a Romanian orphan, who's just in a white room on a white mattress and having nothing to look at, the vision doesn't develop. Right. Are there any other comments or other questions that anybody else has? This is Patty. Hi, Patty. Hi. I wanted to suggest about the times we spend doing vision stimulation, and I agree it should be all day throughout the day, but the kind of clothing that you wear when you're having that really valuable one-on-one time with a child. So if you're showing them a spoon or a cup or some other toy and you have a really crazy patterned shirt on, <laughs> they might not see the toy at all. And on the other hand, if you're showing them and they're sitting against a carpet that has really crazy patterns on it or a striped pillow, you know, there's so many other ways to look at contrast and um, giving the child the best that you can when you're showing them these options. Right. Good. Good point. Yeah, Patty, and that's one of the things that when we talk about, when we go into specific visual stimulation techniques, uh, that is something that's very, very important. And Dr. Christine Roman, she really talks about that because we know that for many children, the first thing that they can look at has to be very, very simple with a, a very simple background. And that's why we talk about sometimes we might put a bottle that's going to be striped in front of the butcher paper so that there's just going to be one thing for them really to look at. And as a child's vision develops further, they could then look at that bottle on a more cluttered background where we have more of a complex background. So that's really a great point that you brought up, Ben. You know, in some of our future discussions, those are really some of the things that we talk about step by step as to how do you present the visual stimuli. So thanks for bringing that up. Okay. And one other question is, we keep talking about as their vision develops and gets better, working with children that become adolescents and then older students, and their vision really doesn't improve, then is it still important to keep the visual images simple without clutter and more detail? Yeah, the question is, you know, what do you do um, in situations as children get older, and the first thing that we have to state here, and we have to really emphasize this, is that there is no guarantee, there is no guarantee that vision stimulation is going to be equally effective among all children. You may see some children, and within one year, their vision develops tremendously, and other children, their vision does not change at all, even after five to ten years. There has to be a point that parents and therapists and doctors all have to understand that we may be hurting the child at a certain point 
by continuing to try to concentrate just on vision. For example, I remember when I first started, I was really, really so gung-ho about trying to develop the vision of so many children. And I kept telling the parents, you know, just keep doing these activities. Keep using the light box. Do all of these activities every day. And they did these things. And they did it for 10 years. And the child's vision still was very, very minimal. And during that time, as a doctor, I had vision the whole time. And I just thought to myself, vision is the most important thing. Of all the senses, I thought vision was by far the most important thing. Well, a few years later, I actually became blind myself. And after I became blind, I realized vision is an important tool, but it definitely is not everything. And for some of these children, if their vision is not changing or their vision is very minimal, I think that it's very important for these very young children to become exposed to Braille or auditory reading. Because what we do now know as doctors and scientists, the visual centers of the brain are not only used for vision. When people who are blind read Braille, the part of the brain that is being used it's the same part of the brain that one uses if they have vision and are reading. So in other words, when this child that I was trying to stimulate vision for 10 years and really didn't make that much of improvement, this child would have been better off if I had the parents introducing this child to learning Braille because those brain cells would have been more advanced and much more related to the tactile sense for reading Braille. Now, this child is a Braille reader. He's, he's older now, but he is a Braille reader. And I'm just thinking to myself, if I had introduced tactation, all this tactile learning at an early age, this child might be so, so much more efficient in, in Braille than uh, he is now. So the point to this is that, again, the vision stimulation, we want to try to do the best that we can with vision stimulation during the first five years of life. By modifying the home, it's going to definitely provide the maximal opportunity to develop vision. But during that time, it doesn't mean that the only thing we do is concentrate on vision. We want to go ahead and expose the child to all sorts of different things, music, language, texture, all sorts of different so that the child as an entire child develops maximally. You know, the role of all of us isn't just to make this child have the best vision, but we want that child to develop to be the best child that he or she can. Okay, does anybody have one more question? We've got about three minutes left. Any other questions or any other comments? Okay, I hope that all of you will uh, tune in to listen next month when we talk about optic nerve hypoplasia. Okay, good night.